My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 462. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? You'll Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, my, my honey is going to bestow some wisdom that she learned from the weekend. Yes. Where were you this weekend? I was at Omega Institute in... New York. What is Omega Institute? Omega Institute is a... um, Retreat center? It's a retreat center, kind of a sanctuary type place. Um, It's been around for 40 years, um, and it was started to kind of bring together teachers and people who wanted to learn and people who wanted to be a little closer to what nature intended. And it's a bit of a, like a communal living kind of place. You don't live there. You just come in and out either for a weekend or for, um, a week, but it's pretty rustic. I mean, it's, it's, I kind of felt like I was at camp. Um, before we get into the guts of the show, uh, real quick, Oh my gosh. Tournament of bad. It's been a while. I have not heard a tournament of bad in a long time. Um, And speaking of, wait, before you go on, those children. Yeah. So the boy that you hear is now 15. Yeah. And then the girls. His voice is a few octaves lower. Yes, it is. And then the girls are our girls, and they are obviously 15 and 13. So that was a long time ago. So I used to, uh, on the podcast, I would just complain about something that isn't working in my life. And it's kind of a quick, stupid complaint. And I have one, um, and I will take responsibility for it, but uh, I had uh, yummy ice cream last night Uh with uh, Nestle Crunch, and it kind of got stuck in my teeth a little bit, so I brushed my teeth, and it didn't didn't take. So Cameron... What do you mean it didn't take? There was still food stuck in between my teeth. Then you keep brushing. Right. I tried. That wasn't working. So Cameron's like, use the water pick. Oh, okay. So I did. Okay. Great idea. Like I don't use the water pick that often, but I'm like, perfect. Water pick rocks. So... First thing is, um, there are um, instruments or tools that people use in like uh, industry called water jets. Do you know what a water jet is? Water jet is a device that shoots water so fast it can cut steel. Oh, it can cut cut six inches six inches thick of steel. So wow. water can be very powerful. Water is soft and hard. So I wanted to uh, get this Nestle Crunch out of my teeth, okay. and I turned the dial all the way up. Uh oh. And I, this morning through. I woke up and I'm like, wow, I think there's like crunch like that's just on its way out. Turns out I think it's part of my gum. Oh, poor so, baby. <laughs> so public service announcement, don't jack up the water jet all the way up. Yeah. Well, and which tool did you have on the water? It was just, what do you mean? Like the, the one all just with the curve? Yeah. yeah, just the one with the curve. The one that we all think of when we think of a Why water Why didn't pick. you just use a one of my flossers? I did that after. So I didn't know what to do first. What a predicament. I know. But I'm going to lower it next time. Okay. So, uh, because I'm bleeding. Yeah, that's no good. Not good. Maybe I got weak gums. Well, as you age. Gums weaken? Gums weaken. Just like everything else? Yes. Brains get mushy? Yes, I did, I've decided that's not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, not rebel, I'm going to push back on that idea. I'm with you. I would like to not have a mushy brain, and I think the way you don't have a mushy brain is you exercise your brain. You know, I was just reading something uh, the other day about, from Dan Siegel, and he always talks about how, um, it, you know, we are so big on exercising our bodies, and we have been so 
convinced for a good reason by the society that exercise is essential. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't focus on the mental exercises that we need to do to keep our brains and our spirit in good working condition. Like literally everybody, if you're just going to go through the world and just kind of take in everything that's out there and watch the news and, you know, go see Halloween, the new Halloween, and then not do any kind of inner work and and focus on what your brain is thinking and doing, things are going to get a little dicey. Yeah. I mean, we have to do some mental, um, what's the word? Not mental work. Mental wellness. Mental wellness. Like we, you know, quiet, being still, um, meditation, yoga. Yoga, the beauty of yoga that, you know, realizing that, when we are, somebody actually said this this weekend um, at Omega, and I thought this was very true, even though it seems obvious, just hear me out. When we're kids, Todd, you'll like this. Okay. When we're kids, we are like full bodied, right? We okay. use our body, we move, a song comes on, we dance. When we walk in the kitchen, we don't just walk, we kind of kick and yeah. walk and use our arms. We like show it, up with a presence. Yeah, you know how kids just like are just all, they're just all body. Yeah. And then as they get older, and usually it really kicks in around nine years old, their body kind of shuts down and they become all brain. Mm. And that is something that I think as, young people and as teens and as adults, we have to practice staying in our body, recognizing that our body plays a role in right. our lives through dance, through yoga, through movement, through um, running, you know, all the things that you love to do. It's making sure you got that mind-body connection. Well, I am I'm reading um, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss, and uh, it, he interviews all these wildly successful people uh -huh. and they're short little chapters, like two pages, three pages, which is what I love. Cause I don't get stuck in the middle of a 14 page chapter, which drives me nuts. I wouldn't like that. And, um, the, the most reoccurring theme throughout the book by uh -huh. far mm -hmm. is that all of them, not all of them, most of them have some form of meditation practice. That's right. And then the other thing is last night I was reading like three chapters in a row, you know, because a lot of these successful people are like, well, you got to do, you got to have a strategy, you got to take an action plan. And there's all the, this whole other thing is the best thing you could possibly do for your body is to get good sleep. Absolutely. And as parents, like we are in a position now, our yeah. daughters are old enough where we really can get good sleep if we chose sure. to. When our kids were one, three and five, forget it. You forget can't. It. So if you're there, you're in the dark days, you just got to deal with Mull it. Mull through. Um, but we have the option to get good sleep by me not watching an hour of TV before I go to bed. No. Um, but most of the time I choose not to do that. So it's I just was I having a hard time getting off the chair last night. I wanted to go to bed like an hour before and then I, I did. I put on a few shows. That then you were put on 60 minutes and I was like, oh no, now I'm like, I feel like I'm trapped. Yeah. But yes, sometimes when we get into these really fancy things, it's kind of like, you know how people still sell things that you can like put on your back and then turn on a machine and it vibrates and mm -hmm. it's like, and this will help you lose weight. Yeah. And it's like, does it? Yeah. I, I kind of think we're always looking for an out, like we're always looking for a shortcut. And really, if you want, and when I'm talking about mental wellness, I'm talking, there's actually another word I'm looking for that Dan Siegel always says, where it's just like mental well-being mm -hmm. or like... Um, if you really want that, you have to rest your brain yeah. through sleep, and then you have to be still and recognize what it's doing, thinking, and feeling. Well, it reminds me when I was used to cram for tests. I would like stay up till three, and I'd wake up at six, right. and I'd get three hours of sleep right. thinking that I was going to do better. And really, 
if I can tell my 18-year-old self what to do is go get a good night's sleep. And we all know now, I don't know how much research we knew when we were in college about this, but if you can study and then get a good night's sleep, your brain is actually much better at retaining mm-hmm. and being able to come up with answers. Right. Um, when you've got a really sleepy brain, you may be able to regurgitate something you just stuffed in. Exactly. Um, but you haven't learned anything and you probably won't have very good essay answers because that was my that was my thing, Todd, essays. I loved essays. I couldn't stand essays. Oh my God, I loved essays. They were the worst. Um, real quick promo before we get into Glennon and Abby because uh-huh. that's who you saw this weekend. Yes. <coughs> um, we have a uh, thing coming up at the library and we titled it Talking About Sex, Sexual Assault, and Consent. It's time to bring sex education into the 21st century. And Amen. you and I are going to be speaking on Monday, November 5th. Uh, it is free for anybody who wants to come and they target audience are moms and dads and teenagers. Yes. So please go to our website. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, go to our website, zenparentingradio.com and click on events. And, uh, you know, for those of you, I know that because we're already getting a lot of moms who are registering. Any dads who listen to this show or any women who talk to um, their partners about this show, it really is important for men to come hear this. Like I know Todd says this all the time, but I really, I will say this now. This whole idea of consent and sexual assault and having a sex education for the 21st century is completely different than it was yeah. for us. Everything is changing. Everything, we, we have to move with the time. And if we have a male figure in the home who doesn't understand how vital it is to know what consent is, to um, have a sense of um, what is appropriate yeah. sexual behavior, not just for teaching their son, but for themselves, yeah. um, then this is where we get stuck. So if we can all be willing to listen, and the thing about Todd and I, when we do things like this, obviously we're going to have something created so we can teach, but our hope is that there'll be a ton of questions. Yeah. Like, And our hope is that we can have conversation because this isn't about you know, do A, not B, okay, there you go. This is really kind of messy mm-hmm. and kind I was, I uh, sat and talked with Todd's tribe group last week um, about these issues. Sure. And th- what I kept reiterating to them, to these men is this is not one conversation. This is not simple. This is not, oh, I'll just change from this to this. It is a constant ongoing conversation and a relearning of a culture that told us otherwise before that was acceptable. It should have never been acceptable, but we all grew up in it and we all, you know, soaked in it and marinated in it and it became who we are, but that needs to change. We need to shift. We need to shift. All right. So, uh, there was a hundred spots available and now I think we're down to 40 left. So a little less. I checked this morning. If you're interested, uh, go to the website. All right. So Glennon and Abby, who are Glennon and Abby? So they are, um, well in their own right. Um, Glennon is, a a writer and, you know, New York Times bestselling author and a philanthropist who I think they said that Together Rising, her charity, her philanthropy has raised $15 million. Crazy. <laughs> um, and she does she does the real work. Like yeah. she figured, you know, some of the things she was talking about this weekend is like for the kids at the border, um, 
who instead of waiting for like journalists to get the story, they like got in contact with people down there to figure out what was really going on yeah. and then started getting money and, and not just money, um, getting supplies that were needed before even journalists do. So right. Together Rising is very They're, they're in. a well-oiled machine. Very well-oiled machine. So she does that and um, she obviously, you guys know her from Monastery and from her blog and uh, and then Abby, her wife, um, you could go either way. You could say Glenn and Abby's wife or Abby, mm-hmm. Glennon's wife, um, is as we know, uh, you know, the one of the best soccer players of all time. Um, the most she has the most goals um, internationally, more than anybody, yeah. men and women. Yeah. Um, so, and they're both now, I would say, activists and um, for creating change around things like equality, uh, racial inequality, um, LGBTQI plus rights, um, just anything. Equality should sum everything up. But sure. I think sometimes when we say equality, we just think men and women. Right. And they have expanded that. Um, but they, I think, focus mostly on women because mm. their belief system, which is very similar to mine, is I think women are the change. Sure. Um, you know, all women. Yeah. Uh, they are the ones who are ready to kind of step up and say, let's do something differently. And not then leave men behind, but let's do it together. Yeah. You know, that's always the key. So when it sounds threatening that women are going to rise up, it doesn't mean rise up and overpower you. It means rise up to meet you. Right. And sometimes uh, guys, because I know this because I work with men, we get defensive very easily. Very quickly. And what I always say to myself and other men is lean into that discomfort of thinking about, you know, what does it mean when women say that they're going to rise up and be change agents. And we could either say, well, what about us? Or, you know, let's hold hands and do this together. So, well, and you know, what's the, we used to, I feel like it was a year ago, we did a show about when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Mm -hmm. Remember, you know, like when you're used to not being questioned, when you're used to being able to say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do, then when someone talks about equality, it feels like they're oppressing you. And that's not, that's not the case. You know, like there is a, a willingness to like stand back and say, Oh, people have experienced the world differently. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people, the things that I thought, you know, like, I, again, I'm just going to say this so we can make sure the women understand this too. It's if you started to feel threatened a couple of years ago about your rights because of the election and you said, Oh my goodness, they're trying to take things away from us. We're just realizing this. What do we do? understand the women of color have been doing this forever. Mm. So we're just now as, as white women saying, Oh my gosh, but this, we are not, we are not like the first people to recognize the inequality or experience it. So we have to be good listeners and we have to make sure we learn from the people who know more than us. So there's so many things. So I'm just going to throw some things out at you, Todd, so we can discuss. Yes. So so Glennon and Abby were at Omega. It was just the two of them. Um, actually, Elizabeth Lesser, who wrote Broken Open, came in on Saturday and talked to us for about an hour. And that was amazing because I love her. She was one of the founders of Omega Institute. Um, but really, it was just a weekend talking with them. And it was about, I think it was 200 and something. It was close to 300 people. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot, but it felt really intimate yeah. because everybody got to chat and talk and, you know, it was, it was great. And I, their, their intention was really just, you know, focus around, we can do hard things, yeah. right. Which is one of Glennon's, um, mottos that she says a lot. And we actually have that in our kitchen, a big thing that says we can do hard things. Um, and how, I, so the, 
the core of the weekend was how can we do hard things? What does that look like? And I'm not going to go through her her strategy because that may be what they're doing at our conference because sure. obviously Glennon and Abby are coming to our Zen Parenting um, conference. So I'm, I don't want to take away their sure. message. But there was a few things that they said along the way that I thought was really powerful. One of them was when we were talking, uh, you know, again about, and I know that you recognize this, Todd, that women often tend to want to please, yeah. right? Born pleasers as Born, young girls. Uh, like I told Todd that last week he called me, uh, it was on a Monday, Todd had been traveling the week before. And so he had been gone a lot. And then I was really excited that Monday morning. And I said, today I'm going to, after we're done doing everything, I'm going to go to the library. And I was really excited. And I got home and I was getting ready to go to the library. And you said, I'm going to go do a few things. I'll be right back. And then Todd called me and he said, listen, my phone's not working. I'm thinking I'm going to go get it fixed and I have to go to the Apple store. And he's like, now, is, does that work for you? Right. And I, I sit there for a minute with him because, Sky, just so you understand why that's important, Skyler was homesick. Mm-hmm. So my natural response, not natural, my instinctual response or that's not even the right word. The response I get because of conditioning. Condition, your conditioned you, response. My conditioned response is what Todd needs is more important than what I would need. Right. And for those of you that hear that and go, oh, my God, sorry, yeah, that's, that's my very female conditioned response. Yeah. I've been working on that for 15 years, so that's not always what I do. But it's just this feeling of he needs to get things done. I'll take care of things at home. It's very, I don't like it. Very 1950s-ish. <laughs> very, but it comes up, man. And I, so I got really quiet and I said, well, let's talk through this because I do want to go to the library. What do you need to do? When can you be home? And then he kind of started backpedaling and saying, I don't really need to do this right now. Yeah, I said, this is not an urgent matter. It's not like I have a business meeting set up. I'm going to get my phone fixed. That kind of works. So I said, all right, I'll come home. Right. And, and I, and when he got home, I said, let me tell you something that I think, you know, but I need to reiterate when you call me and you kind of have this, like, I need to get this done. What it feels like is I need to get this done. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that it puts me in the position of feeling like I need to choose. Well, even in the phone conversation, you said, you know, this is what I struggle with. Like you had, yeah, I said, I struggle when, when, because of course I want you to get your phone fixed. Of course I know it's important. Of course I know that you're already out. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel, make a lot of sense to come home and go back out and do it at the same time. The plan today was for me to go to, the go to the library. Right. So there is a sacrificing that I'm doing so you can get things done on your timeline. And that's not really fair. Mm. So, But it feels, this is the conditioning I'm talking about, like I'm choosing me over you or you over me. It, yeah. it, it, and so what's beautiful is what Todd said is true. He just was like, I'll come home. That's not, I'll do it tomorrow. And But it wasn't like, all right, mm-hmm. I'll do it tomorrow, fine. Because I think a lot of, we had this discussion with your tribe group, a lot of men or certain, it, I guess it doesn't have to be gender specific, a lot of people in the home are very conditioned to doing things when they want, when they want it. Today, I'm going to clean the garage. Yeah. Today, I'm going to go get the car taken care of. Today, I'm playing golf. Yeah. You know, 18 holes. Bye. And there's not a lot of consideration yeah. for what everybody else is doing. And so you and I have wonderful communication around that now, but I'm very honest with you and with everybody else that my conditioning, it takes me a minute to go, okay, right. got it, like get the wheels in motion. And we did not have that when we started this no. Uh, marriage. No. So I did make everything more about you and I resented it. Yeah. And that didn't get us very far, <laughs> the resentment. 
That's called a stop start. Stop start. Well, it is like the the old Target example of you know whatever. Two weeks after you gave birth, I, I said I'm running out to Target, and I freaked. And you kind of flipped out and said you can't go to Target. No, I said you can go to Target. I can't That's go to I Target. Mean. Oh, I got it. Yeah, you're like yeah, Kathy saying I can't go to Target. Correct. Yeah, I didn't tell you you couldn't. No, no, but, I went. <laughs> yeah, Todd's like bye. I think that was my when I'm going and. And what this is, is, you know, Todd and I were talking about that because that's the first thing I ever wrote. Like, I hadn't been a writer before. Yeah. And the first thing I ever wrote was about how Todd, Todd could go to Target and I couldn't. And this is when JC was a baby. And 15 years 15 later, years ago, we did a tribe men's group on emotional labor. Yeah. And so it's like we didn't have language for that then. No. We didn't know what that was. Why can you go to Target and I can't? And now we know what that is. So if that topic is interesting to you guys, go to our website and click on the magnifying glass and just type in emotional labor. We've done two or three podcasts specific to that topic. Yes. And as I always like to give her a plug. Uh, Gemma Hartley's book, Fed Up, about emotional labor is coming out in November. Yeah. Todd and I have both already read it and it's amazing. So you'll get that. So this is the quote that I think Glennon or Abby just said in passing. This wasn't part of like their slides or anything. Mm. They said, when we learn how to please, we forget how to know. We learn how to please. I don't understand what that means. Okay. When we learn how to please, when I focus on pleasing you and making sure you feel good about what you're doing, and I and I make sure that everybody around me feels good about what they're doing, I forget how to know what I need. Because so a knowing would be like the inner knowing. You got, got it. it. So what a lot a lot of women talked about this weekend because this was a women's only weekend is it's hard to know what we want because um, you're too busy pleasing. Exactly, and you can't hear inside like. A lot. It, everyone's in a different place. Like some people have never meditated before. Some people have been doing it for twenty years. You know, we're all on a, a continuum. We're all in different places of learning. But even as someone, I'm someone who's been meditating a long time, and I can hear myself very well now, and I know what I need. But even with that, I still have the conditioning that sometimes makes me reconsider. It's like a, uh, like mm. I have to be like, okay, which. Do I go conditioning or do I go what I know? Yeah. And and what Todd and I know now, because we've been talking about this forever, is knowing is always a better route, but not but making sure that we're on the same page about what that means. But when we're constant pleasers, when our only goal is I want to make sure my kids are constantly comfortable. I want to do whatever they need. I want to make sure my my husband or my partner always feels like they get what they need or that I'm a really like, you know what a lot of women suffer from? is cool girl syndrome. Do you know what that is? I think I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can guess, but I don't know if it would be the right thing. So think about high school and college. Yeah. When I say cool girl, think about the girls that come into your mind. The popular ones? Well, no. Like if you, it, it could be, but more like if you, do you know what I mean? Like if you have friends and you're like, she's a really cool girl. Oh yeah. She's more like us and she doesn't yes. get all fussy. So that's not yes. the popular ones. I, re I remember my cool girl. It was Meg Reardon. Yes. I don't think she has any, I don't think she has kids, but if she's listening, <laughs> she was like, she could hang out with us. Yes. Yeah. So you guys could say sexist things. Yeah. You could like spit on the ground and be gross. Mm. You could maybe not talk to her the whole time and she'll still hang there. And you're like, what a cool girl. Mm. So that's a conditioning 
that a lot of girls and women grew up with is if I want to hang with the guys. I got to. And if I want guys who to like me, not necessarily even like me as a girlfriend, but just think I'm cool, I have to act like nothing matters to me. Yeah. That everything rolls off my back, that I'm not bothered by anything, that, oh, yeah, they can say sexist things and call girls whatever, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a very... You want to belong, yeah. right? And a lot of times in high school and college, um, and even you know younger than that, and even into our twenties, belonging sometimes means, and even in the workplace, like I got to be able to go. Like some of my girlfriends were who were in very male dominated fields. I've always been in very female dominated fields, yeah. but my friends who were in male dominated fields, they had to learn how to go out and network with men. Basically, and be they a would cool have girl. to fit into the male culture. Right. Which often meant that they were harassed mm. sexually and they had to deal with kind of, okay, you've yeah. been drinking too much, get your hands off me. Yeah. And they also had to sit and be a part of oftentimes inappropriate, watching inappropriate things, but hearing inappropriate things. And we still had that conditioning of, I got to be the cool girl. Mm. I can't call these people out on this. Now, of course they could have, but right. there, it were the conditioning is there for a reason, Todd. Yeah. Like this, this whole like, this whole, it's not that someone like woke up one day and like put their hands together and conspired and made a plan, yeah. but it, cool girl syndrome keeps women quiet. Mm. Do you see yeah. who? Yeah, for sure. And so part of cool girl is we take that into our parenting and into our marriage. And we want to make sure that you think we're laid back and cool because one of the worst things we could ever be called is the very, when Harry met Sally thing, you're high maintenance. Mm -hmm. And you even joke around that with me when I order. Now, I really don't take offense, Todd. I'm not right. trying to bring up a sore spot for me because I'm very fine with taking five minutes to order, yeah. like Sally Albright. Well, you are high maintenance when it comes to ordering food. I am. But it doesn't translate into the other stuff. Not only that, but I don't find that to be a, a problem. Like some people will use the word high maintenance as if it's like a bomb they're throwing on me to be like negative. Like there's something inherently wrong with you because you take a while to order. And what I think to myself is... I don't want to get food or pay for food that I don't want. So how about I order it the way I like it? And that makes a lot more sense, right? Right. So to me, that's an empowering experience. And if you would like to label it high maintenance or anybody else, go for it. But I don't get offended because I'm fine with it. I think I have a clip. Oh, go for it. Number three. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know what? I think what she says is, I like what I like. I like it the way I, I like it. Yeah. And to me, that's empowerment. Mm -hmm. That is not something we need to apologize for. We can have a good laugh about it, but I don't feel, how does that put, as long as we're appropriate to the wait staff and that we're not a big, we're not unkind about it, yeah. which I don't think I ever am, why is this a problem? Should I play the other clip where they're in bed watching the movie together? <laughs> what? In two separate bedrooms. Okay, go ahead. So for those of you guys that haven't seen One Hair Met Sally, they're in each in their separate bedrooms, but they're watching the same movie. And I think it's, I don't know, it's one of the more popular movies. Casablanca, I think, they're watching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Ingrid Bergman. 
Now she's low maintenance. Low maintenance? There are two kinds of women, high maintenance and low maintenance. And Ingrid Bergman is low maintenance? An LM, definitely. Which one am I? You're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. I don't see that. You don't see that? Waiter, I'll begin with a house salad, but I don't want the regular dressing. I'll have the balsamic vinegar and oil, but on the side. And then the salmon with the mustard sauce, but I want the mustard sauce on the side. On the side is a very big thing for you. Well, I just want it the way I want it. I know. High maintenance. Good enough. So, so again, When Harry Met Sally is so good, but it's very similar to our other 80s and 90s movies that it's a little sexist. Sure. You know, like she's, you know, she's the problem. And he, you know, and, and even though what they eventually find out is it's really Harry who needs to make the big shift. Sure. But at the same time, it's just the whole idea of you are this and this is a problem or... And he loves her for it, so I don't know if it was really... At the end of the movie, he loves her for all these kind of weird these quirky things, things, but yeah. he makes fun of her Correct. for the first hour and a half Correct. because of it. It's well, what makes her awesome. Exactly. And I think that we really do have this idea that the more you don't care about things, the cooler you are. Mm. And let's really dive into that. Is that really a great thing? Well, there's a cost that is associated with this, yes. which is, in this example, you would build up resentment and then end up we would get into fights about things that were not what the fight was about. Like it was, so it's more like there's a cost to try to fit in. Yes. Instead, be authentic, have a, adult conversations with your partner and say, this is what I like and this is why I like it and don't make fun of me and don't, you know what I mean? I do. And, and in the bigger scale, like the decision makers in our world, if we're going to talk about politically or the CEOs or the people who are creating products or the people who are running companies are much more likely to be male. So a lot of decision-making is made through a male lens and a male perspective. So when a woman comes into that arena, whatever it may be as a, as a consumer, as somebody who is, you know, experiencing something in the workplace, it's not, it may not fit the way that things work for her yeah. because it's being looked at from only one gender perspective right. or only, oftentimes only one white male gender perspective, you right. know? Sure. And so to come in and say, no, it works for me this way. And then to be called high maintenance because you don't fit in to the white male category of how this works. That is, um, I'm not saying, oh, it's unfair. I'm just saying, can, can men, women, can anyone see? Well, any difference is perceived as wrong. Correct. Right? Thank you. You're welcome. And so that's the thing with going back to, you know, rounding up about cool girl is for all you women who deal with that. Um, so re- what's the advice? Don't be, don't, don't be inauthentically cool. Right. And, and were you ever cool in the first place? Is it cool to be that? Like, why would the girl decide to be inauthentically cool to fit in with a bunch of dudes right? in an inauthentic way? So that's not true connection, right? It's definitely not connection. And, and it's like, well, let's start removing those words. Is that really what it means to be cool? Do you really need to do that anymore? Maybe there was a time. I always feel like we shouldn't be too, uh, too hard on ourselves about our history because a lot of times we had to do what we had to do to get by, right? Yeah. But now at this point, do we still need to be living like 13-year-old girls who are trying to be cool? Or do we get to actually say, I know something different for myself, and I'm going to tell you that now. This is always the the important thing. That doesn't mean then the way we do it is the way you should do it. Sure. 
Because that's sometimes where we swing the pendulum too far and we'll say, well, I see it this way, therefore you should see it that way. That's not always true. Can we create space for both people to have an opinion? And most of the time, the white male opinion is always listened to and we're not used to listening to anybody. Correct. Correct. And when we offer an opinion and we're told, oh, that's too high maintenance or that's, you know, that's not cool or that's not going with the flow or recognize that that is a tool of keeping you quiet. Even if, even if the guy's like, no, it's not, it is. And it's, they're not waking up in the morning saying, I'm going to come up with tools to keep women quiet, but to say your needs aren't as important as mine or the way that you view the world isn't as valuable as mine is a tool of oppression. Sure. Let's just call it what it is. So, okay. okay. So under that category though, I wanted to read a few other things. Like we, we have to, if we're going to find wisdom, we have to go inward. It's not outward. Wisdom does not come from me. Like this weekend, I found a lot of wisdom learning from Glennon and Abby and the other women in the room. I mean, there's some powerful women in that room, um, some other well-known people who came to hear them speak. Um, So I gained a lot of new perspective, but true wisdom comes from inside of me. What I get to do is take all that information and kind of let it move through me and then go inside and decide what works for me. Like I remember one of the things that Oprah said, um, she was saying that one of the things that Maya Angelou always um, appreciated about her, about Oprah, is she said, Maya said to her, you always listen to me. And when I give you advice, you listen and you take it in and you look me in the eye. She said, but then you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that. And you process it through yourself and you decide what you're going to use. It's like, who was the one who taught us about, was it, uh, Ed Bacon, Reverend Ed Bacon about being the president and having the cabinet? Yes. Yeah. Will you explain that? Um, I forget in what example he used it, but a lot of times we defer to people who we think are more smart than we are. And he's like, it's important to have advisors, whether Mm -hmm. it's parenting or in a boardroom or in a relationship. But after it's all said and done and the dust settles, you need to decide for yourself what you're going to do or what activity you're going to do or what behavior you're going to change. Um, and instead of doing it um, just because this smart author told me to do it, forget, you know, it's what we talked about on the show every time is listen to the show and take what works for you and, and leave and what does throw everything else out. Exactly. And, and what we're trying to do is create a platform for you to kind of have some things to grab onto. But in the end, you need to grab onto it just because. I parent this way doesn't mean that that's the right way for you to parent that way because it's a completely different set of circumstances. And remember that nothing is new. So when Todd and I say something and you go, oh, Mm. and it resonates, you have resonance inside of you, that's because you already knew it. Yeah. So we didn't teach you something new. What we did is we we reminded you of something you forgot. And so that's, so then you get to bring it up. So there's a balance. Have a cabinet. So these are your advisors. Could be an author, could be a blog, could be a podcast, could be a friend, could be a coach, could be a therapist. Have all these advisors in your life. But at the end, tune into yourself, which is something that we, we rarely do. Sometimes I'm like, well, this mentor of mine says to do it this way. So I'm just going to blindly move in that direction without doing any type of self-reflection. That's right. So, you know, and I think, and again, I think Glennon said this kind of 
off the cuff, this wasn't a big part of it, but she says, if you want to be miserable, just meet other people's expectations all the time. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you really want to be miserable, just keep looking outside of yourself and trying to please everybody Mm -hmm. because every group is going to want something different from you. Your kids want something different than your partner, than your, than your friends, than the people at work. So and people say, then what is the solution? Everybody wants something from me. Go inside. Yeah. What do you want? And you will potentially disappoint people, but you'll be okay with that because at least you're doing what you want. If they want to be disappointed, the reason they're disappointed is because you're not doing what they think you should do. Um, what's the quote again? If you want to be miserable... Meet other people's expectations. Meet others. And for some reason, I thought of the title of the book, uh, The Curse of the Good Girl. Yes. Like, this is kind of what we're talking Rachel about. Rachel Simmons, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing about the cool girl. I don't know if that's in Curse of the Good Girl, uh, Rachel Simmons' book. I don't know if she talks about cool girl, but a lot of people who have worked with young girls like I do, and um, and I'm sure Rosalind Wiseman talks about it a sure. lot, you know, like... You you learn, you see yourself so much in these young girls. Like this cool girl stuff is still so around. Yeah. You know, we are still, you know, it's... It, well, you can't win. You can't be the prissy Claire no. from Breakfast Club. No. But you can't be the cool girl if it's in an authentic way. Like where, you know, where can you possibly fit into this culture? Thank you. And so what we end up doing is we try and jump around and try and be everything to all people. And then we take that into our adulthood and we have a hard time hearing ourselves. So again, when we learn how to please, we forget how to know. Um, Sweet, it's why Jan Brady wore the wig. She wanted to be the new Jan Brady. That's right. And she certainly was new. You know what? Her her siblings were pretty good to her about that wig, when you think about it. Um, what happened at the end? Did Carol and Mike tell them to be good to her about it, or did they just choose compassion? I don't know. Part of me wants to play this clip, but it might be too long. I'm going to play a little bit of it. Electric chair. It'd be better than facing that margin. I think oh. I'll lock myself in a closet. So Peter and Jan, I can't <laughs> believe Jan had the guts to go to this party. I know. So like, you know, it's hard enough for a girl to go with a new hairdo or a or a haircut or something like that. She wore a wig. She wore a big black wig because she's got this beautiful blonde hair, right? I know. Well, you may not have a good time, but the new Jan Brady is going to be a smash. Now you go first and sort of announce me. Announce I want to make a big entrance. <laughs> she's got guts. Poor Jan. Oh, hi, Peter. Hi, Lucy. Happy birthday. Thank you. Margie, Peter's here. Did you have to do that? Hi, Peter. How are you? Where's Jan? Oh. Okay, everybody. Here's my sister, the new Jan Brady. Hi there. Uh oh. Oh no. Happy birthday, Lucy. It's going sideways. Hi. Jan. That's terrific. Thanks. That's the funniest joke you've ever played. <laughs> oh, poor Jan. It, it went sideways. They thought she was kidding. Oh. She wasn't kidding, Todd. No, she wasn't. Why did Why did Margie want to see Peter? Does uh, Margie like Peter? Margie likes Peter. She's kind of this gawky, tall girl with glasses. You know, it's, she loves Peter. Yeah, and they'll probably do another episode later on where, like, she takes off her glasses and she's all like. And you she's know. like, they, they're yeah, like, like, wait, now yeah, right. you're okay. I feel like now every 70 sitcom did that. Okay. No. Okay. Ahead. So this kind of made me laugh. This is just a total random thing that we were talking about. Um, they were talking about 
you know, how we shut down people when they cry, especially men. And I think Gabby said, she goes, saying don't cry is like saying don't pee. Yeah. It's like a biological response from our body. And as you, as you all know, you know, if you've read this or maybe listened to our shows when we talked about this in the past, like tears that you have when you cry actually have a different molecular structure mm. than tears that like, say you're cutting an onion and you yeah. cry. There's really no emotion in that. You're just, your eyes are watering. Right. When you cry, there's actually like, is, mo- is molecular structure like a chemical, yeah. like when they look at those tears under a microscope, yeah, there's something else going on. There's something going on where you're actually getting out the emotion, like mm-hmm. an anger has a different kind of tear. Like, so whatever you're feeling when the tears come out, you're releasing that. And you could think of it as a toxicity because mm-hmm. you're allowing that pretty heavy emotion to go through you. So stifling tears is like saying to your sons, don't go pee. Yeah. Isn't that like a great well, analogy? Not only that, what I thought of when you said that is that when people are lucky enough to cry in front of me, or in movies, and they'll always apologize oh, while they're doing it. Women do it all the time. As somebody who, and you and I have gone through this work, so, um, you know, we're always like, you know, like if, if I'm in a circle of men and one of the men start crying, and I'm sure this happens with women sometimes too, is they like put their arm around them and try to console, console them. And what do we do instead? We say, don't. Don't touch. Let them be. Let them go. Let, Let them, them do, do it. it. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we want to console is because we're feeling uncomfortable Correct. and we want to feel comfortable. So we need to feel useful. So I'm going to put my arm around my guy. So whenever I, this happens in a circle of men, which usually happens in a retreat, let them be. Let them be. Just give them space. And, and for the criers out there, don't apologize for right. it because I am envious. That's something I've been working on for a long time. And you know, when the floodgates happen to me, and it doesn't happen often enough, I'm certainly not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Like I'm... Well, you don't know. You you say that, but you, because I'm like... I'm telling you, man. I'm do you not think it'll to. just feel really good? Yeah, I do. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be grateful. Do I? I don't apologize anymore. No, when I of cry, course do I? you don't. No. Well, I, I, it's hard to remember what I say. Sweetie, you'd be apologizing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been apologizing an hour ago. Um, well, and that is, you know... That's the thing is that I think so when when you hear that that Todd and I at when I, I'm at Women's Circle and Todd's at the tribe when someone cries and it's like don't touch them don't console them someone might say well what do you do hand them a Kleenex yeah. because then that is kind of like a yeah keep going and here's like or just sit and take a deep breath yeah this and is connect. I, I, that's an opportunity for me to do my work exactly. when I'm in the presence of a man expressing authentic emotion, it's an opportunity that does not come around very often. And I could just sit with the discomfort or the not, like when it, I don't think I'm just uncomfortable. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm very proud to be in the presence of this man doing his work. I'm honored. Honored. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll touch something inside of me, or maybe I just sit there and I'm quiet. It doesn't matter. Well, I find that when someone cries in a session with me or if a friend cries or during circle is that's when I really kind of, um, like I can, I can totally feel what I do. I kind of put my, my elbows on my knees and I bend over and I keep looking at them mm-hmm. because I don't need to look away from that. No. Like that is not something that, um, and if they look at me, I want them to know we're, this is fine and good. And you know what usually happens what? after they're done crying? They laugh. They laugh. I know. Why do they so do that? Good. Because they released. And when you have, think about again, just a old school tutorial, 
emotions are energy in motion. That's emotion. So you get a feeling of sadness or grief or anger, and it goes through your body, and you allow your body to do what it knows how to do, which is cry or kind of has some loud words or whatever it needs to move that energy through. And once that energy moves through, you have kind of like a, there's a little bit of a euphoria. You feel lighter. Yeah, you feel lighter. And a lot of times, especially if it's a really good cry, you have a really good laugh. Yeah. And not laugh at yourself like, oh, I shouldn't have cried, it's but like weird a release. How, how it organically, mm-hmm. laughter just organically unfolds. Exactly. It's great. You're just creating some space for that to show up. Exactly. So we have about 10 more minutes, Okay. Sweetie. So um, just a few others, a uh, few other comments that they made. We, we were talking about when... Uh, Obviously, a lot of women in that room were sharing their pain and things that have happened to them and um, experiences they've had. And a lot of them are, are are the head of the household. They don't they aren't partnered anymore for various reasons. A lot of women going through divorce or have experienced significant loss. And we were talking about wounds and healing. And one thing, and I can't remember. If, I think Glennon said it. She said, "Of course, you're going to have the wound, but don't be the wound." Mm. Okay. What that means is that a lot of times we think that if we've been wounded, which all of us have, a lot of times we talk about we got to heal it, we got to heal it, we got to heal it. And of course, we do need to acknowledge it. We need to give it comfort. We need to give it a voice. We need to allow it to express. And it most likely will never go away. It be, it can become a scar. Sometimes it stays just a teeny bit open. Like I still realize, you know, my my dad passed away a year or so ago, um, coming up on two years, and I still just sometimes have a moment where I just kind of break down, mm-hmm. and it comes out of nowhere, but I'm not like that every day, but I can tell the wound is still open, you know, and I think the grief always stays open in that way. I think 10 years can go by, and you can still cry about something like that, um, about loss, about missing somebody, but... So we have wounds and, you know, if we were traumatized as a child, molested, raped, uh, if we've gone through a divorce, you know, I would say your dad still feels very wounded by his divorce from 20, 30 years ago. It's still an open wound for him. Don't be the wound means don't go out into the world and take that anger and that pain and put it on other people. Don't, you can have it, but not live it. And this, I think we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago about, I can't remember what the title of our show was, but it, it, it was about that we can have a feeling and not put that, not make that the way that we express ourselves in the world. Right. That we can only... It's not going to define us. It, not only does it not define us, because that's how we are worried about other people seeing us, it's how, if we end up treating our children from our pain. Mm -hmm. If we end up talking to our children because we're experiencing pain and we talk to them with that pain, then they are then experiencing us as the wound. Yeah. You know, we, we then come across as this, this wounded, harmed person rather than acknowledge we have been wounded, but then we can't, oh, I know what we talked about. We can make different choices with our behavior Mm -hmm. that a lot of times people will say to us, I'm just angry. And when I'm angry, I react this way. Well, you can have anger and maybe your initial reaction is a certain way, but you don't have to put your anger on other people. Right. There is a choice in behavior. Right. So this is just another way well, of discussing What that. I was going to say when I thought about that is, you know, like, well, then what do we do with our pain? And, you know, I we did a whole podcast on this, so I'm not going to regurgitate it, but Jeff Foster is one of our favorite teachers and some woman was just crying and she's like, how come I haven't healed yet? And he said, basically... After a lot of back and forth, he's like, our pain 
doesn't want to be healed. It wants to be held. Mm. And for me, that just kind of takes the edge off of, you know, because if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you just want to continue to shift and improve and 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 evolve. And sometimes the best path towards that is just to hold it Accept instead it. of want to heal it. So. Love it. And, and acknowledge where it came from. A lot of our pain from childhood is like the little kids in us who are saying, can I be here? Am I okay? Do you love me? Do you see me? And I have a lot of pictures in my meditation area of, of a grown woman um, with her arm around a young girl. Mm-hmm. And that is me with my arm around myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not another woman with an arm around a kid. That is me holding the hand of the child that lives in me. So so can you, I just want to give you a chance to open that up a little bit. Like how can you as a 47-year-old woman take care of this kid who doesn't exist anymore? So a lot of the conditioning, you know, we were just talking about conditioning or ex- feelings I had about who I was or the fear that I carried about who I was and what could happen all stems from being a kid. Mm-hmm. So I can see her. It's typically the the kid I see who's probably in the most pain is about fourth and fifth grade. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we won't get into now. But she still lives in me. And she sometimes comes out and tries to make decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Like she'll be like, don't do that. Don't say that. You know, walk. Don't don't rock the boat. Don't, you know, let's just be cool yeah. and not and make sure people like us. And, and there's she it, and she's also really afraid and she, you know, the word that I've always used in, in therapy is she's terrified. Like I will, I can always tell when something's old, when I feel this certain terror. And as your sister has said to me, because she learned this in AA, you know, if it's, um, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So whenever I get that terror feeling, I know that she is afraid. So the there are two things I can do. I can either like deny her a voice and try and step over her and then she'll get or louder. Or pretend she doesn't exist. Right, which whatever we repress or pretend isn't there gets louder yeah. in some way, shape or form, comes out physically, whatever. Or I can acknowledge her and listen to her and remind her now that I'm 47 years old, honey, that won't happen. Yeah. You're safe. I've got you. Yeah. All that terror and all those feelings you had as a kid, that doesn't exist anymore. I've got you now. I can parent you. And so I hold her hand. She can come with me. Yeah. And she can actually have a new experience of seeing me do something that she may be afraid of and seeing it's okay mm-hmm. that I got this. That even if someone did get mad at me or yell at me as a 47-year-old woman, I can handle that. Um, it reminds me of two things. Um, one is Liz Gilbert talking about fear. Yes. Um, fear can ride in the back seat. Correct. But fear is not driving the car anymore. I'm in Correct. So in your example, you're, the 47 year old self is driving. I'm in the charge. Car. Yeah, and I get to choose the song on the radio. But and then this is just kind of like a total deep dive into like depth. But deep it, dive into depth. Wouldn't it be cool, <laughs> like, if after we died, or maybe in one of our dreams, uh-huh. we can literally have conversation with our younger self? But you can do that all the time. I know, but my logical brain wants to experience it for real, I not know. like in the construct of my brain. My literal time. Because like you could do, you know, you could do activities in a men's group or in a women's circle saying, okay, talk to your, your younger self. And I know you're like, Todd, just, just decide I to do, do that, that all the time. But I would like literally <laughs> like to have a, I would like my eight year old self to walk into a room and hug him. Yes. And, and again, yes. And I know you want to do it literally because you're very literal Yes, and you're more black and white and waffly, but 
I'm telling you, you this is what I do all the time is she, I mean, if you look at the pictures I have right now, it's so when I go in, I get to hold her hand and she does walk in and I say, sit down and I hug her. I mean, that's what I've been doing in EMDR is mm-hmm. like, you belong here. You're part of me. You are, I've got you. I listen to you because the, the fourth and fifth grade self in me also has a lot of creativity yeah. and imagination. If I tell her I won't listen to her at all, I also miss out on her gifts. Yeah. You see what I mean? The closest I can come to that is the end of the movie Tree of Life. Yes. Beautiful. When I think he died and he's walking down the beach yes. and all these people all, all the people in his life who are different ages and different yes. times they're not even talking. Right. They're just he's just walking and observing. Well, he's seeing a lot of different people, but I think we end up seeing the people we love in the way that we remember them the most. So yes. the way that Sean Penn is seeing his brother is when he's a kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was a grown man when he died, yes. but he's seeing him as a kid, kid and he's seeing his parents when they were young. young. And so I think that's a lot of... Or the end of Lost, the finale of Lost. Same kind of thing. Where Jack yes. is seeing all of his people. So He's seeing his people from when they were on the island, but they all had full lives. Right. But they all chose to come back there. That's the cool stuff. I know. So you're right. I do have to go. Um, but the one thing I want to leave with, sure. and you can close out the show and I'll bail. Okay is, <clears throat> excuse me, something that Glennon said about when we're coming together and when we are, um, you know, choosing to make change and we've got a lot of different groups who need to be heard and we've got, you know, there's women, um, there's women of color and, and even in women of color, that's indigenous women, that's Latinx women, that's African-American women. Like there's all many different groups and there's the LGBTQI community. And what she said is, let's talk about unity rather than uniformity, that we all don't have to be doing... Right, we can be different and together. You got it, We can, and we can have different ways, but we have to be able to hear each other and listen to each other, and, and that's for men and women too. Again, when Todd and I talk about equality and bigger issues in the world, what we want to make sure you guys understand is we need to apply this first in our families, yeah. with our partner, with our children. If we can't have a difficult conversation with the person we chose to marry or partner with or live with, how are we going to go out in the world and have difficult conversations with people? Right. We have to practice. And with our children, what we want to teach them is let's not give them all this conditioning of that they have to be cool, that they have to shut up or that they have to dominate. You know, right. we don't want to teach our boys, you know, a way of being masculine that th- somehow demeans them or yeah. makes them think they can't cry, which is like, don't pee. Yeah. You know, we want to be able to raise our children in a way where they can see things differently. So if there's parents out there saying, okay, how do I do this? I mean, there's a million techniques million. we can come up with, but the best one is to role model. You got it. It's just a model. And know that it's messy. You're not going to do it perfectly. The conversations are difficult, that you need to come back to them, that you need to walk away sometimes and say, let's do this again tomorrow, that you need to realize you're going to fail, but that you can rise. I mean, this is, from failure comes a new awareness. So let me just say this as I walk out. Um, Big thanks to Glennon and Abby for this weekend. What an amazing me- weekend at Omega! I learned so much, and for all the women, if you're if you listen to the show and you were, you were there, um, you know, hashtag Wolfpack. Um, and there is, you know, there things are changing, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, and it's going to make us all better for it. Yeah. And um, Glennon and Abby will be at our conference. March 8th and 9th, 2019. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Get your tickets. Get them. Yeah. Get them now. Get them now. Okay. So, sweetie's going to yoga. I'm going to finish up by saying uh, 
there's a few spots left in the pre-conference workshop. We just found a few extra spots. So if you're interested to uh, go to our website and um, make sure that you do that. We have a Team Zen. Uh, we have a Zen talk this Friday. What's Team Zen? It's a virtual community of parents supporting one another um, that Kathy and I lead. And then uh, lastly, uh, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty and he does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. And you can uh, learn more about him by going to avidcode.net. So we will catch you guys next Tuesday. Keep trucking. Have a great one. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime, you choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios. <laughs>